Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We would love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit our website at www.lifechurchofrichmond.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. I want to welcome you to Family Worship Sunday. So proud of the young people today. Now today we're going to begin a, uh, a short three-week series called Core Values. And I'm just going to jump right in and get us started here. I believe that it's important for us to understand what's important uh, in our lives as believers. And it really should be reflected in the core values and the activities of our church too as well, right? And for the last couple of years, our church leaders have really been trying to boil that down and kind of determine what those core values are and to make it clear to us so we can implement them in our lives. And because those values need to come from the word of God, we, we'd like to take note that Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, that the primary mission of the church is that we're to make disciples of all nations, right? And it's often called the Great Commission. And it's really the last thing that Jesus said uh, to his followers before he left the earth. Each of us who believe in Jesus are called to find our place in a church, in a community of faith that is focused on doing what Jesus described. So, so what does that look like? And what does it really look like to find our place in the kingdom and to grow in a relationship with God? We believe here that it is simple, but it is still, it's intentional. That it happens when we place ourselves in three vital environments consistently. Environments that we have boiled down into three points, three core values, and we're going to talk about them for the next three weeks, and that is gather, connect, and serve. Now, these are three core values that we've prayerfully and strategically defined that Life Church is going to pursue. And by the way, this is not our idea. The very first followers of Jesus came up with this. And here's how the New Testament described the way they lived their lives in Acts chapter 2, verse 46 and 47, it said this, they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met at homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. The scripture says, they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes uh, for the Lord's Supper. That's what we call communion. And they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Now, the Bible says that the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. They gathered, they connected, and they served. Those three environments framed their habits, and they experienced God, and they grew spiritually and numerically. In a life church, we also, we understand that we all grow through habits. Understanding that once we've put our faith in Jesus Christ, we recognize that it's what we do day in and day out 
that eventually defines our lives, doesn't it? And here's the good news. You can build these simple habits in your life by God's grace. It's not complicated. And we want to help you to do that by helping you see and understand what these three core, core values are as we seek to pursue God more as believers and as a church family. So I want to encourage you, please don't miss any of these messages today, next week, and the next week. And by the way, the week after that is Easter. Can you believe we're only four weeks away from Easter? Can you believe we're only four weeks away from Easter? Yes. Hallelujah. <laughs> now, over the years, we've been on a mission to strip away as much of the clutter and distraction as we can that so often accompanies religion and churches, whether it's denominational dogma or man-made traditions or church hoops that people have had to jump through. And we really want to try to just focus on Jesus and live out a few simple habits that will help us grow and fulfill our purpose. So for each of these three core values, gather, connect, and serve, I want you to know I'm going to give you one public habit you can implement and one private habit you can implement. What I mean by that is a public habit is one that, that where you focus on when you're together with other people and one personal habit that's one thing you focus on in your life on a personal level. Each is very simple, but they're very intentional. So why don't we start with today's message, and my sermon title today is Gather. Our core value today is gather. Everybody say gather. All right, let's turn in our Bibles, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. And I'm going to read this verse to you in four different translations. I love this verse. Hebrews 10.25 says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That's one you've heard probably most of your lives. That's the King James Version. That's the New King James Version. As is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Same verse from the NIV. Not giving, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Same verse again from the New Living Translation. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And then finally from the Living Bible, I like this. It says, let us not neglect our church meetings, as some people do, but encourage and warn each other especially now that the day of his coming back again is drawing near. So here's what our public habit is for gather. And I'm telling you, these are real simple. You know how simple it is? Gather on the weekend for church on Sunday. Doesn't get much more simple than that, does it? <laughs> I told you it'd be easy. See, we grow in our relationship with God and we grow in our relationship with God here when we gather on the weekend to worship, to learn, and to experience and know God. It's the starting point of every week. It sets the tone for the rest of the week. We want every weekend service here at Life Church to be four things. First of all, we want it to be a celebration. Amen? Our God is alive. He's not dead. I don't think church ought to be dead either. Do you? God is creative. He's joyful. So when we come together, we ought to have fun. Amen. I like a church with balloons. I think God's a balloon kind of God. Amen. I think he likes big red hearts and big red letters. I think that's how he is. We ought to have fun sometimes at church. 
Church should be enjoyed, not endured. Amen? It should be the highlight of your week, not something you have to do. So we ought to be able to celebrate when we come to church. I think church ought to be real. Amen? We're not creating holy weekends. We're trying to help, sh help shape holy lives. Amen? So the stuff that we talk about on Sundays, it's intended to impact your Monday through Saturday, not just your Sunday. Amen? It's relevant. We try to make it relevant. We try to make it real. We try to aim it where people are really living. Amen? I believe church ought to be powerful. Everybody say powerful. We want to experience and know God. So when we gather, there's a sense that God is present and God is pleased and it ought to be powerful. Church should have the power of God present to heal, to deliver, to restore, to set people free, to save souls. Amen. There ought to be the power of God in church. We ought to feel and experience his power. And then let me throw one more thing in. I think church ought to be outward focused. Now, some churches don't embrace this. Some Christians don't embrace this. But we exist not just for the people who are members here, but also for the people who are not here yet. Amen? See, some churches are not like that. But we love it every time a new person walks through the doors for the first time and they decide to keep coming. And being outward focused means we, use, we try not to use so much church lingo. Amen? We try to think of things that, that outward uh, an outward-focused church would do and be. And by the way, there's Bible for being outward-focused. Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a story of three lost things, a lost coin, lost sheep, lost son. And guess what? In all three of those stories, you know what he did? He left the found things to find the lost thing. Jesus said, you don't just emphasize on what's been found you emphasize on what is lost. We got to have the same focus. You want to know why? Because we want to help people find Jesus and follow him fully. And that's important because and if I'm being honest, if you don't get this, you're not going to like our church long term because I'm not just here to cater to Christians who want to be comfortable. Amen? See, that's not my job. As a matter of fact, can I just tell you, my job is to help make you uncomfortable. Uncomfortable with your faith, it needs to go higher. Uncomfortable with your prayer life, it needs to be more intimate. Uncomfortable with your service, it needs to be more God-focused, amen. Uncom we need to be uncomfortable as believers. But if you get this, you'll be excited about it and you'll enjoy the journey with us. So that leads, that's our public habit. We gather on Sunday. Our personal habit is this of gather. You need to invest and invite. Let me tell you what I mean by that. You need to invest in the relationships that you have with people who are outside of these walls and then invite them to come to church with you. Amen? When Lindsay was two or three years old, I can't remember how old she was, we lost her. We, has anybody ever been to Greenfront Furniture in Farmville? Raise your hands. Oh, by the way, if you like shopping around and killing a whole day looking at furniture, you need to go there. But we went there, and if you've never been there, it's a bunch of old warehouses, like seven or eight big buildings, multiple floors of all kinds of furniture, everything from cheap junk to furniture that unless you were wealthy, you couldn't afford. Lindsay was two or three years old, and we lost her in this store. Now, for all of you sanctimonious people who are not parents who think, how can you lose a child? You wait. 
especially if they run as fast as Lindsay could run. We turned around, and she was gone. And if that's never happened to you, there is no nightmare worse than losing your child in a public place. By the matter of fact, so I don't feel so lame. How about anybody ever raise your hand if you've ever lost your kid anywhere? Look around the room, just nod your head, say, oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> they got all these buildings, multiple floors. She snuck away. We searched for her for what felt like an eternity. It was probably only 15 or 20 minutes, but I'm going to tell you, it was the longest 20 minutes of my life. We finally found her hiding under a giant desk with a big smile on her face. She thought it was funny. In that moment, I wanted to kiss her and beat her all at the same time. I wanted to hug her and give her the worst whipping she's ever had in her life. But the hugs prevailed. Because you know why? In that moment, hear me, nothing else mattered but finding our child that we lost. I'm telling you, all decorum went out the window. I was walking through green front furniture. People turning around looking. I didn't care. They were staring. Little old blue-haired ladies looking at me going, what's it? And then people judging you because they know, man, he done lost his kid. What in the, What kind of father is he? Amen. It didn't matter. We had sales associates who started looking. I think it was a sales associate that found her. I can't remember. Nothing else mattered because somebody that we loved was lost. We need to realize that our friends and our family are lost. Not all of them. Some of them know the Lord. But the ones that don't know the Lord, we need to become consumed with helping them find Jesus. That's why I'm saying your personal habit is you got to invest in the lives of people that don't know the Lord. Now, when I was growing up in church, we were, we were uh, told, stay away from people in the world. You know, be careful. You might get contaminated by sin. I want to tell them, guess what? I got enough sin of my own, don't worry, that I'm dealing with. But you see, you can love people in the world without becoming worldly. You can love people who don't know Jesus and show them the love of God. So you've got to invest in them, and you need to invite them to come to church. Can I just tell you, four weeks from now would be a tremendous time to invite your unchurched friends to church on Easter Sunday. We need to realize that our friends need us. Find your place and realize you're the plan. I want that to sink in for a moment. Some people's lives, guess what the plan is for them? You're the plan. You're the one. You're the one that's going to lead them to the Lord. There is no plan B. Here's how it works. First of all, you got to accept your personal responsibility for the people that are in your everyday world. Not to change them, that's God's job but to influence them, not to judge them. One day that'll be God's job, but to love them, amen. Assume that God has placed you near them for a purpose, amen. Secondly, yeah, go ahead and clap. That's good, amen. Accept that responsibility. Second, develop a personal relationship with them. Be a friend. Third, you need to share your personal story. Tell them what God is doing in your life. Because can I tell you right now, what people want to hear is your story. They don't want you to quote scripture at them. They don't want you to recite the book of Romans and quote Acts 2.38 in four different versions. 
They're not impressed by that. What they're impressed by is what God is doing in your life, how he set you free, how he restored your marriage, how he healed your kids, how he got you off the bottle, how he set you free from gambling or addictions. Come on, somebody. Your testimony makes a difference. And fourth, extend an invitation. Invite them here on a weekend. Nothing will impact your life like leading somebody to the Lord. You bring your friends and family members, and here's what I promise you. I will try my best to communicate Jesus in a way they can understand and relate to. I will try to commute Jesus in a way that is powerful but not weird. I will try to commute Jesus in a way that's real, amen? All that takes place when we gather. Public habits show up faithfully on the weekends. Private habit, invest in my friends and invite them to church with me. You see, church ought to be your excuse for missing things, not the other way around all the time. <laughs> now, I want to talk today. If you haven't figured it out yet, I'm talking about coming to church today. But you know, Satan often will use circumstances or people or even activities to pull us away from the very people that God would use to bless us and train us and encourage us at church. Maybe, maybe you don't have any issues with anybody at church. That's great. Maybe you're just really busy on weekends doing other things, good things. I get that. I really do. Attending your kids' soccer games or going on family getaways, fixing stuff around the house, those are all good things. Everybody should get good things. But see, if good things regularly take you away from church, you would do well to realize that you're choosing activities over something that God says is important in your life. And I'm going to talk to you about that. Why church is important. Because, see, going to church is not about getting your attendance gold star. Because we don't, we don't give those around here. Amen. You know, it's, it's not about just gaining extra favor from God. You're not getting any extra brownie points in heaven because you assemble together with his people. Church is not just a place that you go, it's a living body where God wants you to become a part, amen, for your good and for his glory. So let me talk about, I'm going to quickly share 10 reasons, 10 reasons, I'm going to do them quickly, 10 reasons why we need to faithfully gather every week at church, even, everybody, don't forget this part, even when you don't want to. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, say, even when you don't want to come to church, you need to come to church. Okay, here we go. Let's run through these 10. You ready? Here's the first reason you need to gather at church, to hear the preaching of the word of God. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And if we really believe that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, then hearing the preacher of scripture ought to be vital to our spiritual well-being. Amen? Now, let me just say this. We live in a day and an age where there's a lot of good things, but they've also become substitutes for the best things. Watching preachers on television or on the internet, it's a good supplement if they're preaching the word. But hear me. Preaching is not intended to just be a one-way conversation. Amen? It is to be heard, it is to be felt, it is to be experienced with other people. At the end of the day, gathering with others in close fellowship to hear preaching and teaching, it allows you to experience the help and the hope that comes from Christ and his bride, the church. See, let me say something about preaching. 
These days, we've gotten accustomed to getting our information through entertainment. We have social media, the internet, even our news channels. They're not even news channels anymore. They're entertainment vehicles, right? I wish I could find a real news channel. <laughs> Because all of it is entertainment oriented. Uh, Fox is slanted one way. CNN is slanted one way. MSNBC's got their slant. All of them have their own angles, and it's entertainment driven. It doesn't matter which side of the spectrum you are on. I think we all would acknowledge that. See, people get their information through entertainment. And so sadly, more and more preachers, are repra uh, they're replacing preaching with drama and with skits and with videos and other elements. Can I just tell you, preaching is not a TED Talk. I like TED Talks, but that's not going to grow me spiritually. Preaching is not a feel-good lecture that ought to just leave you warm and fuzzy, amen? Preaching is, the Bible says preaching, it is by the foolishness of preaching that people become saved. Preaching is supposed to be an anointed dialogue of the Spirit where God's Word speaks principles into our lives. Amen. Our culture craves entertainment, but God never instructed his ministers to just entertain the troops. Amen. Rather, he commanded us to preach the truth with urgency. It is through the preaching of sound doctrine that the word of God penetrates our hearts and transforms our life. Preaching calls sinners to repentance. Preaching encourages the downtrodden. Preaching should inspire those of us who follow Jesus to love and serve Christ in a way that God would have us to. Preaching reminds us what we are called to do as believers every week when we gather to hear the word of God. Paul, when he was facing death, he revealed the importance of preaching with his final instruction. Last words to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. He said, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Amen? 2 Timothy 4 verse 2. Thank God when we gather, we hear the preached word of God. Amen? Here's the second reason we gather at church every Sunday, to participate in corporate praise and worship. Amen. Worshiping God all alone is fine and dandy. It's great. You can have some great experiences with Jesus all by yourself. But can I tell you, nothing can replace the beauty of coming together corporately and worshiping God with other people who also have his spirit in them and have experienced the redeeming work of salvation. Amen. As a matter of fact, why don't we just stop and do that right now so you can remind yourself how good it is. Go ahead, give him a praise. Hallelujah. We bless you in this house, mighty God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus said those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. And in order to truly worship God the way he demands, it requires some soul searching on our parts. Realizing that worshiping God comes as a response to our, uh, from our humble gratitude of what God has done for us. Amen. God stirs in us, in his children, a heart of thankfulness. And it's expressed through our worship. It's expressed through our praise. And the Bible says it brings him glory. It's not just a self-serving emotional experience. It feels good to worship God, but that's not what it's all about. We talked about praise and worship last Sunday. Wasn't that a great, great way to close our revival last Sunday if you were here? Amen. What a powerful day. We had a great praise and worship experience. And can I tell you as your pastor what I desire? I desire every Sunday to be like last Sunday. 
I desire every Sunday to be a Sunday where we can lift our hands and worship and dance and give God a praise. When you come to church, it ought to be your opportunity to bless the Lord with other believers. Amen. That's another reason we gather. Gathering allows us the privilege to enjoy a worship experience that is unlike the ones we can have on our own. We gather, number three, are you ready? Because iron sharpens iron. Let me tell you what I mean. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Did you know meeting with other believers regularly is a source of encouragement and strength? But also know this. When iron rubs against iron, not only does it become sharper, but sometimes sparks fly. <laughs> Can you say amen? I'm just telling you the truth. It's part of the process. Rubbing shoulders every week with other believers at church occasionally can produce some sparks. So don't be alarmed. It's part of the process. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And did you know what? When you live in community with other Christians, you're going to be bumped occasionally. You're going to be rubbed up against the wrong way occasionally. And guess what? What spills out of you is what's in your heart. You may, you may want to ponder that for a minute. How you react to the sparks reveals what's going on in your life. See, God occasionally uses our interaction with others to show us the areas he would have us repent about. Can I just be honest with you and tell you, there have been times when iron has rubbed up against my iron and sparks have flown that I didn't always act the way I should act. And God showed me, you need a little work in this area of your life. You need a little work in this area of your life. See, some of us, that's how we act when sparks fly. <laughs> God, get me out of this place. I thought everybody loved Jesus. I thought everybody was perfect. I thought everybody was nice. I thought everybody thought the same way I thought. I thought they all dressed the way I dressed. I thought they all acted the way I acted. I thought they all, no, 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 no. Iron sharpens iron. See, working alongside other believers in a church is a wonderful way to grow your love for God and for other people. It's also God's way of showing you areas he wants you to mature in. Amen? Nothing will help you mature, can I just say it this way, nothing helps you mature more than being around immature believers. And maybe if you're an immature believer, nothing will help you mature more than being around mature believers. And if people, people who stop attending church regularly because people hurt them or they didn't meet up to their expectations or they're hypocritical, I want you to know the enemy has them right where he wants them. He does. Satan's tactics are to divide and conquer. And if he can pull you from the flock, you are vulnerable to his deceptions and to his attacks. If he can use the sparks that fly occasionally when you interact with others to cause you to become discouraged and disgruntled, he has won. He has won. You don't quit your job every time you have an argument with somebody. You don't quit your marriage every time you have an argument with your spouse. You don't kick your kids to the curb every time they disagree with you, do you? If not, we'd be calling social services on you. Amen. So we need to understand sparks are a part 
of the growth process in the kingdom of God. And Satan will use your lack of love and tolerance for God's people to quench your love for God. So when sparks fly, guess what? Take a deep breath. Do whatever you got to do. Count to 10. Buy a box of donuts. Get a cup of coffee. Walk around the building. Do whatever you got to do. But understand that other people will sharpen you. They don't have to drive you away. Amen? Here's another reason that we gather. Number four, to exercise your gifts. I'm going to spend more talking about this in a couple of weeks. But whether it's teaching or encouraging, hospitality or administrating, loving people, greeting people, God equips all of us as his children with gifts to serve him and to serve his body. And when a church body is healthy, its members realize that they are part of the congregation, not only to receive, but also to be a blessing. Statistics tell us that in most churches, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. I can tell you the good news is I think our stats are a little better than that around Life Church. And this is not a guilt trip just to get you involved. But you need to realize that the body of Christ needs you. Amen? We need you to exercise your gifts. You know, a lot of people see work going on around the church, and as the church grows, this is what I, I didn't know this until our church began to grow, but what happens is you look around and you think, they really don't need me. <laughs> Do not be deceived, my friend. A well-running ministry may appear to have all its bases covered, but if you look closer, you're going to discover there's a lot of people doing a lot more work than they probably ought to be doing. I have found this to be true. The more a church grows, the more help we need. And sometimes the harder it is to get that help. We need you in the body of Christ to exercise your gifts. You know what Jesus said? The harvest is great, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers. And your willingness to minister in your church with what God has gifted you is likely the answer to someone's prayer for God to send more workers to help with the harvest. Your gift may be the very thing somebody else is praying for in their life. We gather so you can use your gifts. Here's another reason we gather. You ready? Number five. I'm almost done. To find godly mentors. Another reason we come to church on Sunday is to find godly mentors. In the church, you're going to discover people who have walked the road ahead of you their wisdom, their insights, and even their vulnerabilities to teach you from their mistakes is one way that God provides to help us grow. It is. So you can't meet them, you can't connect with them, you can't interact with them if you stay at home. Titus chapter 2, I'm not going to read it, but it's a great place to learn how much God values mentorship. In, in that chapter, he talks about his plan for the older men and women to come alongside the younger ones to train them in godliness and guide them uh, and, and to help them build a life of no regrets. Can I tell you, as a young believer, people in this church taught me at the age of 15 how to put God first with my tithes and offerings. I heard my pastor preach about it, but if I can just tell you the truth, what helped me the most was other people talking to me and sharing to me their testimonies and showing me how to do it. It was in this church that godly mentors told me when I was a 16-year-old new believer not to date girls that were not in the church, that it was wrong for believers to be yoked with unbelievers. Thank you, Debbie. By the way, can I say that's still in the Bible? Yeah, it's not a real popular message in the church today. 
I'll probably need to talk about it more. They taught me that at the age of 16. So you know what I did? I was real careful about my dating relationships. There were girls that I worked with that I could have dated that I definitely should not have dated. And I'm so glad somebody showed me the way. That strong influence and good teaching helped keep me pure and led me to my wife who had the same convictions that I did. Godly mentors in my church, and it was just a handful of people, taught me what it means to stand in the midst of the storm and not quit. They taught me how to pray. They taught me how to praise and worship, even when I didn't feel like it. I didn't just learn that from preaching. I learned that from godly people in my life. My older leaders helped me to make right choices. They helped direct my dating choices, and they taught me time management. They helped me stay on the right path. They taught me godliness by their example. And hear me, not only is the church a wonderful place to find amazing mentors, I'm getting ready to talk to some of you right now. Are you ready? It's also a place where God wants to use you to mentor somebody else. Oh, here it comes. The hook. See, those of you who are interested in discipleship, I've got good news for you. There are tons of folks around here that you can help disciple. Those of you who want to see our young adults do better, guess what? There's tons of them here that are waiting for you to help show them the way. Come on, I'm going to get a little help in this house. Those of you who are concerned about our youth group, fantastic. Why don't you help them? Why don't you show them the way? Why don't you be an example? Steve Newsom, I don't want to embarrass him. Steve Newsom, thank you for catching the burden of uh, LC Rangers. But let me go a step further. Where's Mike Fritchie? Is he in here? He's out of town. This happens every time I try to brag on somebody. They're not here. But you want to know why we got LC Rangers going again? Mike Fritchie. Somebody help me. How old is Mike? I don't want to. 70s? Late 70s? Yeah, he said he's up there. That's a good way to phrase it. He's up there. You know what he did? He came out of retirement and met with me at a Panera and said, Pastor, I've got a burden for the boys and for the young men, and I, I don't want to do it myself, but I want to help raise up a group of men in Life Church that can help carry them all. And you know what he did? He formed a team, and he started pouring his life into some of these other men. And we've got LC Rangers today, and we got a great young man leading it because an older man was willing to mentor somebody and show them the way. I'm just going for it right now. Come on, some of you, what do you have that somebody in this church needs? What could some of you married couples do to help some of these young newlywed couples? Have you ever thought to ask one of them or invite them out to dinner or invite them over to your house? Ask them how their marriage is doing, how they're doing with their finances. Take them out for a cup of coffee. See, this is one of the reasons we come to church, to connect with people like this. Connections matter. Connections matter. Sharon, can I share? Can I publicly share a connection? I want to tell you, connections in the body of Christ matter. This past week, I'm not going to go into all the details. My dad's really not doing well at all. He's in Johnson City, Tennessee. Uh, we went down to the hospital. We've been going back and forth. Probably got to go back down there tomorrow. They've given my dad three weeks to live. And Sharon... Landrum, Bill and Sharon. Sharon, would you raise your hand for all the people who haven't had a chance to meet you yet? Sharon Landrum's sister is a doctor in the hospital that my dad is at. And her husband is a pathologist. We met with Denise 
Sharon's sister this past Friday, she came, she talked to my mother, she talked to me, she talked to her friend, she looked at my dad's medical records. Come to find out her husband was one of the pathologists that looked at my dad's cancer diagnosis. And she began to minister to us and help us and talk to us. And how many of you know when you're going out of town and you got to stay out of town for five or six nights, it gets expensive renting hotel rooms, right? She talked to us. She helped my mom understand the, the magnitude and the gravity of the situation. She never met us before. She had only heard uh, about us through Sharon. And guess what she did at the end of the conversation? This is our first time she met us. She said, I'm going out of town Saturday. When are you going to be back? I said, I'm going to be back Monday. She handed me the keys to her house. She said, I've got some guest quarters. I got a place. I want you to stay at my home while you're gone. I know how hard it is coming in from out of town. Folks, I'm going to tell you right now, only in the body of Christ. Only in the body of Christ. She helped my mother so much. She spent an hour and a half with my mother helping her understand how bad it was. When I walked away from that meeting, I walked into the ICU and the IC nurses came to me and they said, totally, un totally uh, not connected, but it connected. And they said, we need to have a conversation with your family and with your mother about what's really going on with your dad. And I said, we were just having a conversation out there and I think my mom is ready now. And she helped prepare the way so my mom could be ready to make some difficult decisions. Connections matter in the body. And you can't make those connections if you stay home and watch your favorite TV preacher on the internet. You need connections in the body of Christ. All right, real quick, I got to hurry. I got a few more. So, so there it is. Right now, that was the sermon for some of y'all. What are you going to do to mentor somebody? Don't just look at a young couple and go, oh, I wonder how they're doing. Let me tell you something. If God put it in your ear to wonder how they're doing, he wants you to go ask them how they're doing. I wonder if they're doing good with their marriage. Great. Find out by inviting them to your house for a pot of chili and a grilled cheese sandwich and ask them how they're doing. I'm talking about the real body. Amen. I'm talking about a body of Christ where a stranger will walk up and hand you the keys to their house. That's what I'm talking about. Here's another reason we gather. I got to hurry because I'm running out of time. To teach your kids to love the church. One reason you need to come to church every Sunday is to teach your kids to love the church. If you want to teach them to love God, they need to see that you love God and that God and his church and his people are a priority. Look at Luke chapter 6, verse 40. I love this. Check this out. I want you to see it on the screen. Students are not greater than their teacher, but the students who is fully trained will become like the teacher. Notice, it says they will become like the teacher. Jesus didn't say the students will become as the teacher teaches them to be. He said they're going to become like the teacher. In other words, not just the words coming out of the teacher's mouth, but what they see lived in the life of the teacher. They will become like the teacher. In her book, Caught But Not Taught, author Julie Rupp said this. She said, and I quote, our children will learn more about faith from watching us live out our own faith journey than from us telling them about God. So true. You know, I'm afraid we're raising a generation that's losing their reverence for the place of the house of God in their lives. I am. 
It's critically important that our children understand that church is not just a place that we go on Sundays, but it is a community of people that we do life with. As a matter of fact, the church is not a building at all. It's the people who make up this family. This building could burn down. A tornado could come and knock this building down, and guess what? We could go out there and stand in the grass and have just as good a church as we're having right now in this building. If it happens next week, you better wear a dust mask because of all the pollen. (laughs) But it's not a building at all. Help your children fall in love with the body, not the building. Teach them why worship is such a vital part of their relationship with God. And can I just say this? You need to make sure that your kids go to kids' life. You need to make sure that your youth go to youth meetings. Because listen, if you let them stay home just because they say, I don't like it, then what are they going to do when they get older and they don't like going to church? Just a thought. The seventh reason we gather is to be a light to our community. Jesus said the world will know us as we are his disciples by our love for one another. I'm going to hurry. Number eight, we're to gather to bear each other's burdens. Galatians 6 and 2, share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. Life is hard. Life is difficult. In one moment, everything can change. Just when things are going great, a phone call, a diagnosis, or any number of things can leave you feeling afraid and alone. But to those who are part of a church family, you never have to feel alone. I'm going to talk more about this next week in our core value of Connect, but we need each other. We need each other. When life's going great, it's nice to have the affirmation of others. It's nice to have somebody pat you on the back. Where's Veronica Rutherford at? Wave your hand. Veronica, I haven't even got to tell you personally. I just saw it on Facebook. Congratulations on your job. You get to work at home now. You drive a long way to work, don't you? How far? Not too far? 30 minutes? I thought you had to drive a long, longer than that. But now she gets to work from home. You know what's great? I saw all of her church friends. Congratulations, Veronica. Oh, I'm so happy for you, Veronica. It's nice to have the affirmation of others when things are going good. But you know what else? It's really nice to have the affirmation and the love of others when things aren't going so good. I've probably had 15, 20 people ask me today how my dad is going. You know what? That means a lot to know you care enough to ask. You care enough to tell me that you're praying. We need each other. Number nine, we gather because God says to. There's a pretty good reason. Hebrews 10, 25, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. He wants you and I to exhort one another, especially as the days get darker and the time of his return approaches. You remember last week when Pastor Suarez told us about the Chinese underground church? How they had to sing hymns no louder than a whisper? How they had to sit on their hands in order to not accidentally clap and be found out? If they were found, it could mean physical abuse or their children in possession seized. It could mean imprisonment. It could even mean death. Yet they still met together to worship. And their story ought to stir us. Can I be honest? It ought to challenge us. It ought to convict us on a Sunday morning to say, I don't think it's too nice today. I'm just going to stay home, sip tea, and cut my grass. You can do that after church. You can do that after church. God wants us to gather. And in conclusion, praise team, musicians come. I'm I'm, I'm running through these last points. You guys come on up. I gather because church is where people can get saved. 
Let me be real clear. It's not the only place people can get saved, of course. But church is a great place for people to get saved. Why do I need to go to church? I want to go to church so my kids can do this. I got ready to say those are the future praise team. They're not the future. They're right now. Amen. Look at them. Getting ready to lead us in altar call. Why don't you stand with me all over this house? Everything we as believers enjoy about gathering in church is really an added blessing. It is. Beyond our salvation, the church is really not about us. Sometimes we have to remember that. Jesus modeled our responsibility by being a friend to those who were lost. I'm going back to my original point about invest and invite. Jesus took time to talk with the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. You know why? He wanted her to be saved. The scorn of the Pharisees didn't deter him from eating with sinners. He didn't care what they thought. He wanted them to be saved. Their need of salvation was the motivation of his mission to the world. Jesus refused to seek the favor of political leaders. But instead on the cross, he turned his attention to the dying thief. And when he expressed faith in him, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. You know why we come to church? Because I believe every Sunday is an opportunity for somebody to seal their walk with God and put themselves in a place where eternity matters. Because you know what? I, I told somebody this morning, there's one thing I can guarantee every single one of us. We are all going to die one day. The scripture tells us it's appointed unto man. You're going to die and eventually we're going to face the judgment. Every single one of us have an appointment that we're going to keep. Every single one of us. And so the most important thing we can do is make sure that people are ready for their appointment when the time comes. The main concern of Jesus was the saving of souls. And hear me, the church must never become a showplace for talent. The church is not designed to promote our personalities. It's not a social club of entertainment. It's not about how you dress or how you don't dress. Can I just give you a little insight into me? You know why some days I wear a tie and some days I don't? Because some people like ties and some people don't. It's, it's that simple. You know why some days I wear dress shoes and some days I wear tennis shoes? Because it's not about how you dress. And I want to remind everybody, I want to show everybody, it's not one way or the other. It's however you feel comfortable when you come to church. You want to know why we have lots of different types of music in our church and worship and different kinds of songs? Because it's not about any one thing. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Him. The church is not a museum that's built to honor religion. The church is not a museum to honor a denomination. The church is a hospital for the saving of lost souls. Amen. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord personally, you can. You're in the right place. Jesus said it's not those who are well who need the physician, but the sick and the dying and the perishing. Did you know 
Heaven does not rejoice over a new car, over a nice house, over a raise on your job, but let one sinner <laughs> make his way to God. And the scripture says the angels begin to rejoice. And we can't wait for the lost to find their way or for the blind to see the truth or for the hopeless just to stumble across us. Our task is to go to where they are to show them the way, to open their eyes to truth, to preach to them the word of faith. So I wanna open this altar right now. I know I've done a lot of teaching today, but I wanna open this altar. And I wanna invite as many of you as can on this Family Worship Sunday, bring your family down with you. And I want us to just come down and I want us to thank God for the church. Not just Life Church, not just this building, but for the church, the body of Christ all the wonderful things that we enjoy and benefit from as believers. But most of all, I want you to step out from where you are and say, God, I'm walking down to the front to say thank you for saving my soul. Go ahead, I'm gonna open this altar right now. Let me try the Tony Suarez thing, are you ready? One, two, three, come. If it works, I might start doing it. Because <laughs> guys, we got so much to be thankful for. Now I know I'm a little bit biased, because I've been going to Life Church since it was seven weeks old, all the way back in 1982. But you know what? I think we ought to thank the Lord for our church family. We've got a great church. We've got a great church. We've got great people that we can worship God with and love God with. And as you come, I want you to make a fresh commitment to ask God, God, I want to commit to the body of Christ. I want to commit to gathering. I want to commit to serving you and loving you. Let's do it. Let's worship with our praise team. Amen.